RugbyRenegade.com, the number one online strength and conditioning program for rugby. Are you ready to get bigger, stronger, fitter, and faster and dominate your opposition? Welcome to the Rugby Renegade Podcast, where we build machines. Today's episode is sponsored by Optimum Nutrition. To get a 40% discount across their entire batch-tested range, use the code RENEGADE40 at www.onacademy.co.uk forward slash elite portal. And of course, members of the Rugby Renegade online subscription program get an exclusive 50% discount plus free access to the Optimum Nutrition online nutrition course. Hello and welcome back to episode 70 of the Rugby Renegade podcast. My name is Jamie Bain and today I interview Peter Tierney, formerly a sports scientist with uh, Leinster. Uh, rugby over in Ireland and currently working with the FA with the women's team um, it was great to chat to Peter um, unfortunately we had a few um, wi-fi issues um, so it might be quite heavily edited but hopefully it makes good sense and there's tons of great nuggets of information so give it a listen and let's know what you think Peter welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast it's great to have you on uh, let's start by you telling us a little bit about your background how you got into strength and conditioning and who you've worked with cheers Jamie um yeah, I think even before my background, um, I've got, I guess, a pretty curious nature or mindset. Um, so that might be one of the reasons that, I, that I'm in this industry. Um, definitely have like an urge to kind of evolve and, and share and learn. Um, and and also um, a level of empathy or caring. And I probably get that from, from uh, family. So... Um, couple of those things that probably fit together in terms of my, my character um which which might uh, tee up my kind of experience nicely um even the the kind of evolution part um the current ceo of the F, of the fa mark bullingham he um i remember uh a sort of a nice quote that he said in my first couple of months uh in my current role and he said the past is for reference not residence um and i thought that really resonated with me in terms of kind of you know I guess the the evolution side of things in terms of uh, experience um decided to do an undergraduate degree in, in health and performance science in uh, college in Dublin um during that myself and one of my best mates Greg we we were coaching actually coaching rugby at schools level and then kind of transitioned to coaching S&C um alongside our course which gave us plenty of opportunity to try apply some of the things that we learned in in the course um but also plenty of opportunity to make mistakes um and then in the final year of that degree um was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to intern at the high performance gym in in UCD uh with a group of elite swimmers uh under the guidance of George Petrakos um he's someone who I still consider a really good friend and mentor and he's someone who helped me out loads when I was really young starting off um so helped help guide me kind of early days um off the back of that and after the final year of the college uh, degree um interviewed for an intern position in, in Leinster um so I remember getting a question uh what where do you want to be in five years time and probably cheekily said you know sitting on the other side of this desk um it it wasn't meant to be cheeky it was definitely an aspiration um and I think it, you know that type of thing might rub somebody up the wrong way but Dan Tobin was one of the guys on the other on the, other side of the desk so something obviously throughout that interview uh made him and and uh 
others in Leinster um decided to give me an opportunity. Um so yeah, look he, he gave me loads of ownership and, and trusted me when I was really young starting off in in the industry. I was only twenty um when I first started coming into Leinster. Um and look I made tons of mistakes and, and stuff but gave me like a level of autonomy to work with. Um obviously under his guidance but it it was a really good like learning experience for me um with some of my other colleagues there as well. And then kind of throughout the the first year or two in, in Leinster as well, obviously was keen on coaching um more so um continued to coach in my old school um did some S and C with the rugby senior rugby team and hockey team and then also at a club level rugby as well. Um so I spent five years at Leinster, uh, just over, um and <clears throat> had Dan as a head of performance and a and a mentor and then Charlie Higgins came in um and himself and Dan are very different but but both really good mentors good leaders in but in very different ways but I mean I, I feel lucky and fortunate that I got to work under two different styles of of leadership um both at different skills which helped me in different ways but I mean I feel like I benefited from from both of them enormously and, and I don't think I'd I'd be in a position that I'm in now without without either of them, along with other people as well, but not to, to list off everybody. Um and then now find myself at the FA um working in football. So um again, find myself really lucky to work with like a really unique group of people, um, from different sports, different backgrounds, different experiences, um, kind of under the guidance of of our head of department, um, Bryce Kavanagh. Um I think he and Everything the FA have done a really good job of actually recruiting um a group of people in our department who are yeah, diverse, who are not afraid to challenge each other. We like I've had some brilliant discussions with some of my colleagues even through this kind of period. Um and we're happy to challenge and to be challenged and I think it's a really really good place. Uh, it feels like a really good environment. Um and then kind of alongside that, um I've always tried to continue my education uh, throughout my career so I guess one of the things we did um back in Leinster was around uh trying to um I guess answer the questions or kind of provide solutions to the problems that we had that we were working uh, we, that we came across in work and um I know a lot of the staff have done some uh, like masters or PhDs as well um and and that was really good because i guess the research we were doing um had a genuine application to the work we were doing or it informed our practice massively so to be able to blend the two of those and i still am finishing the phd myself um that's been that's been a really nice process for me because it's forced me i guess to think uh, in sort of different domains but but to come out as a hopefully a a balanced um practitioner now, one of your uh, Twitter posts uh, recently, um, which something that's caused a bit of, uh, uh, I guess, not controversy, probably a bit strong, but about Bowden Barrett's uh, Bronco record he set returning to training. Um, and uh, you, you spoke a bit about and, and started looking at um, maximum aerobic speed and high speed running. Do you want to kind of talk about what you were, what you were sharing there? Yeah, I, I hope it didn't cause any controversy. Um, look, I just saw the, the Auckland Blues posting... Um, uh, Bowden Barrett score just like it just sparked an interest I guess um and just probably connected some dots in my head that I hadn't connected before not not that I hadn't connected but you know I always think um chatting to people or seeing other things kind of 
um, asks different questions and then helps me think um, slightly differently or, or think of things that I haven't really thought about but it's just a, it's just a really good time um, I've seen sometimes very close to that and under four minutes 20 um, I consider definitely very good um, but yeah it just it just sparks some thoughts and um, one thing that we briefly looked at before was like looking at um, kind of you know what what did better or fitter players do in the weeks preceding the time that we tested them so um, with the backs in the, in that little sample that I shared out that was just um, high speed running distance accumulated in the three weeks prior to the fitness test um, but again I think like that could be a very much a chicken and egg type scenario so you know does the high speed running they accumulate you know help them produce a better fitness score or or you know to fitter players just cover more high speed running um and you know that might have no input from from an snc coach and that might just be how they train um, and i guess the other thing as well to mention is that like that's that is our environment specific uh, and it could be training specific to how we trained in, in that couple of weeks before um wasn't evident with forwards so you know there's a few other probably more questions i have after thinking about that kind of thing than than um than answers for, for anybody but um yeah I, th- I think look mas as a as a measure of aerobic ability it is a good snapshot um for team sports and and, and rugby um I don't think it captures, you know, every single physical quality that's important, but as a foundational quality um, that underpins a lot of, uh, you know, recovery between other high-intensity efforts or in, in between training sessions and, and, and matches, I think it's a really important quality for us to get a snapshot into, um, you know, and obviously that depends on when you do it in the season and stuff, but if you can get a snapshot a couple of times, um, I think it's really, really useful information for, for S&C coaches to have. Yeah, I guess all all tests really are, you know, a general snapshot of that individual capacity. Um, but it can it can guide what we're doing. And how how would you go about testing for aerobic ability and to train for it as well? Yeah, I've used um a couple of different tests. Um, again, these are probably environment specific, but I've used uh, yo-yo in the past, um, level one and two. The Bronco, um, I've used a one kilometre time trial in, in rugby and, and now in football and look I know there's other ones, thirty fifteen and everything else. So there's 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 tons of ways for you to measure. Um I think for me the important things are that the test is is as valid and reliable, uh but but obviously uh, feasible as well. So I think that's an um a factor that's of equal importance to its validity and reliability. Um look you could develop a a 60 70 minute test that's valid and reliable for fitness but i mean how feasible is that through a through a sporting season or a pre-season or at any time point um so i think you know it's something we discuss in in work uh currently at the moment in terms of like time limitation um and, and fitness testing or strength profiling um i think it's important that you know we don't want to detract from or take away from the sport or training itself so if if our physical testing fitness testing can can you know go alongside um the team sport and training i think that that definitely helps um yeah in, ter- in terms of training mas like i think when people hear mas like i think of it as the, like the measure of fitness aerobic fitness but i think people associate it all the time with mas intervals um so it's, look mas intervals are one method of of uh, developing aerobic running fitness um 
there's tempo running like there's tons of other things that I certainly won't get into detail but I mean probably the question that I have is like you know what about your sport um I don't think we can forget that you know a well-planned training session with you know appropriate rest and recovery times over um a couple of weeks whether that's pre-season or in-season like that will help develop aerobic fitness but also it has the added benefit of challenging technical skill and decision making under high fatigue so my my training point for for here anyway would be you know don't forget about rugby um that's probably the the best the best place yeah definitely and have you you know your time at leinster how would you use conditioning games to to achieve that to kind of you know get get both rugby and and the conditioning element out of it yeah in terms of conditioning games um i think the biggest thing is just discussion um and, and constant feedback to coaches um i don't think there's like a perfect plan but i mean once you know if, if you keep talking to the coaches around look you know what do they want uh what do we want especially say for example in pre-season um you know we can help as, as snc coaches try implement some rules of intensity um so it, look pre-season example it, it's kind of an easy one to to provide it's like you know a, a game of drop-off touch and that increases some running intensity and then but again on the other side of it the tactical or technical aspect um that creates more space in the defensive line so for it, it helps i guess players identify space and challenges their decision making and also uh, when coaches can review footage they can they can look at how players realign a defense under high fatigue so there's there's i guess dual benefit across um coaches and, and snc uh, and then in in-season similar concepts it's look it's just discussion with coaches um it's probably less conditioning games uh for the match day squad um but more so around you know conversation or challenge with coaches can we increase the intensity of this drill to make sure that it's at or above uh the intensity of the match or those those worst case scenario passages in the match um and then just being very conscious of of dose um, so probably trying to identify a couple of drills um, within a session and, you know, say really going for those physically uh, while still maintaining the, the kind of technical, tactical challenge as well. Uh, uh, just on, on that note, I know some some clubs have kind of uh, used different drills and then almost got looked at the kind of GPS data and that. And then they've they've kind of got a bank of different drills, knowing what roughly what kind of um gps response i have from it is that something you've done and kind of use that to to guide what games you use yeah the drill banking is something that or drill library um whatever term you want to use for it that's uh, something that i've used and i'm currently using i think like it's it's a guide it's, it's you know drills change from time to time um depending on uh you know the, the session focus the opposition everything else so they're always going to be a guide um but I think they can be definitely useful in conversation with um, coaches. So when they're planning out sessions, you know, are, are the physical outputs, um, you know, aligned to the, the technical focus or the tactical uh, focus for the session or for the week. Um, so, you know, whilst it's never going to plan the entire session, um, unless, you know, it was a conditioning session, if for, for a sports session or a rugby or football session, you know, I think, it can definitely help in the conversation. So, for example, if a coach is targeting a certain tactical um, session and they wanted to do these six different drills, but then, you know, if you have some informa information 
regarding the physical output of that drill or those six drills you can help and say oh look you know these drills are all stressing the same physical quality or they're they're stressing something different could we think about you know doing something else or adding in this rule of intensity and then it's sort of like a a discussion or a negotiation around okay what the coach feels is, is the best thing for them and, and then also then i guess from an snc coach you're trying to input what what the best thing for the player is in terms of feeling prepared but also feeling fresh for for that week's uh competition uh now we, we've kind of mentioned high speed running a bit earlier um now when looking at high speed running in rugby what, what have you found kind of is, is important um as i guess a kind of performance measure and and how does that impact your training approaches yeah um to be honest personally anyway my probably my focus went from um high speed running volume to to more of a focus around efforts um that's not to say that that high speed running volume isn't important um and you can consider it for you know management and and whatever else um but but for me from from a variety of things discussions some some work i'm doing at the at the moment exploring and and conversations and i guess anecdotally as well that the efforts just seem to be more representative of effort or or intent in in rugby um and and not just high speed running efforts but also acceleration deceleration uh, and collision efforts um just in my experience i seem to have better discussions with coaches around you know the efforts seem to better represent or was better aligned to what they kind of felt in in the session um, and the actions seem to resonate with players a little bit better so look you can argue that um the, the detail or or whatever and the connections between efforts and and sporting actions but some of the some of the stuff that i've explored and the conversations i've had you know players seem to resonate with that so for example um you know an acceleration effort for them they might have considered that as a line as you know an effort to get off the line in defense so that's that's a really clear connection for them a high speed running effort might be a, a kick chase effort so again really clear really easy kind of relatability between between the player and uh, the kind of discussions that we were having so yeah probably more of a shift towards towards that and, and some of the some of the discussions and work that i've done is looking and the coaches have said this as well around you know the higher the competition level the less space um you seem to have so it's probably more important to consider what you do in that smaller space so that's where distance becomes potentially a little bit less important but more so the efforts within that distance yeah, that's interesting and again on on uh, high speed running how have you found or probably more in terms of in training as opposed to games but how have you found the, the kind of sweet spot in terms of um you know improving performance but also injury prevention you know that that kind of inverted you of getting enough running in that's going to improve improve performance and prevent injury but not too much that it kind of increases their injury risk um look, you know i don't think anybody's found the the perfect sweet spot of of high speed running um that inverted you i think look a lot of that is like common sense you, you know you you don't do too little you don't do too much um in terms of you know looking at high speed running volume only I, I think that has some pretty big limitations um because it lacks some context so that the the example i think about um which is hopefully clear is if you compare if you compare high speed running volumes from a linear running session so tempo running mas interval running um you get quite a high volume of output in terms of high speed running compare that to sport training or certain drills 
your high speed running volume might be much lower but how you accumulate the running is very very different um now look i'm, I'm obviously biased i've i wrote a, a paper on high speed running densities the the term that i've used and it it's i guess for me and for some of our some of our work previously it provided some context um around the distance that was accumulated um but yeah certainly i'm a little biased in that area but um in terms of injury prevention or performance i think like the biggest thing for me personally anyway was um you know preparedness equals protection in some capacity so if you try prepare your players for the you know the the, the most demanding passes to play or the the toughest periods in the game and then hopefully that offers them some some protection uh, against that yeah so you're talking like your kind of worst case scenario type things how how have you how have you trained for those? Yeah, in t- in terms of worst case scenario, um, yep, did some research, uh, w- with Dan and and Killian Reardon, who who's still at Leinster, um, looking at like the longest passes of play and the, and the most intense ones in games, um, and then that definitely helped, I guess, progress our our training intensity, um, so, it would have been a discussion with coaches around look you know in certain drills can can we increase the intensity or can we can we challenge and stress players uh physically but also i guess you know technically under under high fatigue so instead of blowing the whistle after a mistake can we can we challenge them can we get them to exert really high physical output so whether that's a run across a pitch or a different transition or a turnover and that i guess implemented or, or caused some chaos and some stress um on players um so that that can be quite demanding so it was, it, it was trying to you know get doses of that throughout the week um, and then probably an evolution of that went to you know that tuesday session that gets a bit of discussion um called tuesdays um after Stuart came over you know that that tuesday we say tuesday it was the furthest day away from from the match before and the match after so that ended up being one of our our biggest days um and our most intense days and I think you know the way that we trained ended up having a huge huge um impact on on how fit players were um and obviously look other work outside of that as well but I mean you'll you'll hear Shearer talk about um you know how the way in which players train has a huge input and an effect on, on how on how they play so um I guess to hear that from like you know a coach as well, not just not just an SNC coach is, is quite powerful. Yeah, that's cool. And this is a question we we ask all the guests on the podcast: is what do you think is the biggest mistake rugby players make when it comes to strength and conditioning? Um, yeah, I've I've heard this uh, question, so it's a, it's a good one. Um, look, I, I was definitely very lucky to work with like a brilliant squad um, of players like young and old who were like so driven that like they would run through like that phrase run through a brick wall for you um if they felt it was going to benefit their performance um so i think it's not necessarily a mistake but um it's probably to be patient and develop some consistency you know i think if a player wants to get fitter they ask you to do one fitness session and potentially think that's going to get them fitter but it's actually um you know there's probably no quick fixes um in in that world it's it's more around okay can i create some good habits around training conditioning you know nutrition or recovery can i improve my behaviors around those areas can i do you know those conditioning sessions or top-ups consistently and that's the thing that's gonna you know get me fitter as opposed to the one-off so probably more 
around that's not necessarily a mistake but yeah definitely that's great and kind of enjoying the process i guess and um focusing yeah, on that as yeah. opposed to yeah rather than just looking at those quick outcomes um no good real good real good point um now a lot a lot of clubs use uh cat movement jump vertical jump uh whatever uh for various reasons how, how have you um found it to be useful yeah look i've, I've gone to and fro um using cmj for monitoring or any sort of jump testing for monitoring um previously used cmj in an optic jump but like I, I guess i question jump pipe being a measure that's sensitive enough to detect any sort of fatigue from a monitoring perspective anyway not not to say that's for like a testing perspective but um we also tried uh some orsi but i think one of the key things was is compliance and trying to you know uh, especially a drop jump was quite a harsh movement so for us to collect that information in a monitoring window that gave us enough time to act on it alongside you know considering all of the other subjective measures and other objective measures that we were collecting um had its difficulties um i think you know a kind of room jump on a, on a force plate um it definitely definitely has opportunity to give us some more information than just jump height um again i think for me and and maybe everybody on <laughs> other others will definitely know more than i will in in terms of uh force plate uh data but i think we're still trying to you know learn what the best variables or variable is from that so um but I, I definitely see value in it um i think one of the things that you know players and coaches want um is you know a really quick uh sort of you know oh well, is that good or what's that like but i think sometimes with with monitoring specifically you need to collect um a couple of months of data before you can you know get a true baseline for players and you can start to make some good inferences then um but obviously players want, you know, after one session, they, they want the, the change or the response from it. Um, like I know Matt Jordan in, in Canada has done some, some really, really good um, data collection on, on monitoring. So he, he'd probably be somebody to go to uh, um, for, any, for more detail and, and stuff like that on, on that. What, what about using it to kind of not predict, well, I guess predict um, kind of improvements in, in other um, performances? As opposed yeah, to just like, margin. Yeah, look in in terms of like not, not not in terms of predicting, but at the moment in work, like we're using a kind of job as a measure of eccentric strength or or like we've termed it breaking strength. Um so like look one of the benefits of that is that you can get a really good measure of of a player's, you know, strength and jump capability. Um it's extremely feasible. Um and really low fatigue from from the test and and low time so it it's definitely a a, a really good one in my opinion and it and it gives you some uh, insight into eccentric and concentric variables so i think it actually offers a bit more than say <clears throat> potentially uh like a you know a two times body weight squat uh for example so i think it also gives you the it allows you to rely less on you know one one exercise for strength development um, so you can, you can I suppose lean away or stray away and and use a, a variety of different, exercises or or solutions or strategies um with with different individuals, um but then have a, have a consistent um testing protocol that, that all your athletes can can actually do so uh you know whether it's a kind of room jump or, drop jump drop land um even an isometric type type exercise with a force plate so I think. 
that's certainly the way um the way forward in, in my opinion um now i know you've done you've done a bit of work on like optimal loading for for sled work and stuff like you talk to us a bit about that what you found yeah look I, i'm probably going to get bashed for using the word optimal um or i'll definitely get challenged for it um and it yeah it's, i don't you know it's difficult to say optimal because optimal for a while but but anyway um i think yeah just got quite curious about resistance sleds a couple of years ago um and look we've used um in practice that you know we've loaded sled loads you know percentage body weight relative to to players and then just saw some limitations in practice um you know that the percentage body weight doesn't account for um you know strength levels of, of athletes acceleration or sprint ability and you know direction of force application technical everything else so I found it very difficult to to keep using that. Um we did try some velocity decorate measures as well and look all methods have their practical limitations but the momentum in rugby one sort of just clicked one day. It it, it like did a bit of reading and there's a bit of research in, in rugby around momentum and being able to determine between higher and lower level um players not from a resistance sled perspective but from a an absolute max um or peak momentum. Um so then yeah i mean look momentum from a physics point of view is is literally mass times velocity so from a sled perspective it gave us a method of um like a an actual output a score um and it, and it allowed us to try strike the balance the right balance between mass and velocity um look we I did some pilot testing as well um which which was fun to do but uh you know we we got to a point where we were happy with the sort of i guess the application of the method we were going to use and everything else um in terms of like session flow and and that type of thing so we you know we we developed a like momentum profile for players where we looked at you know okay what momentum were players achieving at various different loads across 10 meters we were just focusing on a on a shorter um sort of distance and we found like the load that that maximized momentum um relative to body weight varied from as low as you know 20 30 all the way up to, to 70 80 <clears throat> so to me you know if you used a 30 body weight sled load across all of your players that it just, just doesn't make sense in my head so um then then we started doing some more digging trying to relate um their momentum profile from resistance sleds to their max velocity or max i guess unresisted body weight momentum there's some like nearly perfect correlations there so I, I don't necessarily you know you can't assume that the sled is going to have an influence on top speed but in my opinion it's giving some measure of their horizontal capability or sprint capacity um in some way i still need to do we obviously still need to do a bit more work in that area um but then i guess we then try to look at you know trying to relate it to carry performance as well in, in rugby and look it's never going to explain all the variants of, of carry performance but it, it definitely was related in some way and had some uh, impact on on a player's carry effectiveness um and you, you hear players all the time speaking about um finding the right weight to play at um you know i've definitely heard some players and and seen some articles and in stuff around players being interviewed um and i'm obviously biased um because i've done some work and i've been interested in the area but i i, I effectively think they're speaking about momentum so what's the weight that um i i what or how heavy can i be whilst i can still maintain you know still run around the park still run quickly 
um, some momentum from a sled's point of view, but also from a, an unresisted perspective. It makes a lot of sense to me in that, you know, it can help with discussions and feedback. So a really, really basic example would be, you know, if a player is trying to put on some body weight or lose some body weight, um, you know, it, we want to know, okay, does that have an influence on their output? So if you can give them feedback in terms of momentum, okay, they may have uh, lost some weight, but potentially their velocity increases so their momentum goes up. And that's, <clears throat> you know, in that circumstance, that could be seen as a positive instead of, you know, potentially just looking at body weight going, oh, this player's lost weight, he needs to put weight back on. Um, so really, really kind of um, simple, I guess, insight and discussion and, and something to help um, a conversation with a player and a coach, I think. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's interesting. I, I know Dan used, used sleds a lot and obviously the better you can prescribe it, uh, the better results you get. And, and also, I yeah, agree with you in that like, some players can be a bit funny about, you know, losing weight off on one for some of the bigger ball carriers they think they're going to lose that momentum but if you can kind of explain you know why you're why you're trying to do it um and and that they'll increase their velocity so they'll maintain the momentum it you know it helps that way as well so that's no interesting points um now um obviously in this day and age there's tons of uh, data we can gather from you know gps and monitoring and things like that um but maybe at some clubs I've seen where there's so much data that it all just gets kind of locked away and not used. So what's, what's your kind of approach to, um, to kind of gather the data and then actually find out what affects the performance and then, and then how you use that to sort of, um, to affect your training. I think one of the key things for me is just consistency. Um, and that's across the board, whether that's with GPS data, wellness, rugby, sport data, any, anything, it's just be consistent. Um, I think one thing with, with tech now and, and probably some data processing and the skills of, of a lot of SNC coaches now is that you can start broad with your data collection um, and you can explore uh, things of interest or you know you can explore the relevance of things in the background. It may not be something you report on immediately, but uh, you, you can work away with and then have some conversations outside of like you know feedback from training or, or session reports. So I think that, that's, that's definitely one thing. But... For me, it's definitely key to, to relate everything to the game. Um, trying to create a connection to the sport, uh, translate some information um, for coaches and players to understand. And, and with that, obviously, there, there, there comes some education um, alongside it as well. Um, you you want to try to have a positive influence on the programme. Not to say you want to control the programme, but... You know, can you can you help the program improve the performance of players? Uh, and that's probably the question that I that I'd ask all the time. Um, so one of the things, look, we've want to reflect back to Leinster. We one of the things we tried to do was relate the distance, <coughs> um, that that players covered, t- to their involvement in the game. Um, to try see, okay, was the measure of intensity, for example, distance covered, was that actually reflective of anything in in rugby, um certainly not saying you know it's a measure of performance or, or you know you're not going to rate someone's performance on their on the, any sort of gps metric but um you know if we can get you to a place where physically you can cover more distance or you can get into positions to express yourself from a sporting perspective and to get involved in the game i think that gives coaches and players a lot okay well you know this is relevant it's not to say it has to dictate everything it's not going to be a measure of how well you perform but 
um, in the data that we collected, it was okay if a player can get you know if they can cover more distance in a non-contact scenario, uh, potentially gives them opportunity to get more involved in the game, and then it's up to the the coaches and the technical staff to make sure that you know how they express themselves in those involvements, the tackles, carries, um, are are positive after that, um, and then another thing with data and everything else, I think. It's just discussion and feedback from from coaches and players. Um, you know, I think their response alongside um your data processes or any sort of change you make in the program is important. Um, you know, I think you need to seek people outside of you know your own department or potentially your own biases for for a challenge and critique, and they may offer a, a you know an opinion that you haven't thought of and then you could go oh, actually you know that's i didn't even think of that or i didn't even consider that so and then you can go from there and start collecting some some data with a different lens um in your analysis and and, and that sort of an avenue i guess so i think yeah a lot of it um it's i guess to sum up i guess is the the consistency but um relating to, to the game and then the discussion with with coaches and players yeah definitely I, th- I think it's you know it's all, all the stuff is a is a tool to improve the performance. It's finding ways that can impact that. And but like I said, first you need that buy-in. So relating it to the game and the way you're trying to play, will you know that'll get the buy-in from the players and the coaches. So it's, um, that's is there any other other ways other than kind of relating it to the game you've you've kind of tried um, to to get more buy-in with it? Yeah, in t- in terms of other ways to get buy-in, um, a lot of us just more conversations, I think, and. I think I kind of alluded to this earlier on was, you know, if often with me personally, anyway, if when people ask me questions, um, it tends to join some dots together or, you know, make me think in a different way. So, you know, I've had players have asked me, oh, have you, like, have you, could you compare this to that? And why don't you do it like this? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I actually never thought of it like that. So, I'm, you know, I've adopted some things, tweaked some ways of working, um, definitely off the back of some conversations with, with players. Um, I don't even know if this will answer your kind of buying question, but you know, in my experience, you know, I had an example of a player who, um, he wanted some feedback from a series of games. So I, I got it, and I said, "Well, look, which of these out of interest did you find most difficult?" So this is before he'd seen any feedback, and he said, "Oh, it was it was these two definitely. Um, I found these really challenging, um, physically." So then we looked at a couple of different variables across them and, and there were, you know, there were one or two that were clearly different in that game versus other ones. And he was like, oh, that, that fits in with his, you know, feeling. And this was before he'd seen the information, which is, which is good. And then look, I guess off the back of that, you can start to use that firstly the conversation, but secondly, the data you have to, um, to help, I guess, you know, if he has any additional opportunity for, um, conditioning uh, throughout a week or in the season, um, you can gear your conditioning towards those sort of variables or those qualities that address the things that he finds most difficult or most fatiguing in the hope that firstly then he, as a player, um, goes, okay, well, this, you know, this conditioning session is specifically geared towards me because of the conversations I've had, but also the feedback from the information that I got. And then you can give some feedback from that conditioning session you know related to the the games that he found difficult and um, so it starts to i guess form part of an over a bigger picture um especially from a data point of view so that that's probably an example of of a buy-in that i've had and it wasn't necessarily forced on forced upon a player but it was 
that that's sort of the, the process that i went through as, as one example yeah now definitely it's always like we've got all that that data and technology but it, it always comes back to the ability to communicate it and and get the, the players to understand it it's um it's kind of almost useless with without that and, and that's a good example of of showing how you've you've got the player on board a bit more with it but also you know modified their training um to kind of remedy the the not issue but you know to improve performance and again that will just give you imagine that giving me more buy-in because they're like well this is you know personal to me um and it improved my performance so yes yeah, um that's that's the way to approach it, I'd, I'd say um again this this question we ask all the um guests on the podcast is what advice would you give to an upcoming strength coach yeah i've heard, i've heard this one before um a few times and to be honest I still consider myself like upcoming or you know in that I'm still young so I don't I don't want to give advice because I feel like I don't like give advice to myself but um what I will do I'll share some of like my own processes what I'm trying to do um and hopefully that's kind of the same thing I guess or similar um but definitely in the last kind of 18 months um I've, I've definitely tried to improve on a couple of things um one of those being self-awareness um so I've, you know read a couple of things but kind of consciously tried to to become a little bit more self-aware um to, to better reflect on on my own processes whether that's kind of you know long term or even you know after a session so if i've delivered something or if i've uh, given some feedback or had a conversation trying to create some time to reflect on that um which obviously, look, you can argue, you can argue it's difficult to have the time, but I think it's important to do it as well. Um, and then also just just seeking clarity from from colleagues or um, you know different departments, coaches, even myself, like being clear with what I want to do. Um, and I think that's really helped me, I guess, focus my intention towards um, some clear objectives or clear outlines for the day or for the week or whatever it is. So they've been they've been three things i've i focused on and and some of the other i guess more general things is you know i am pretty curious um i'm pretty persistent so um they i'm sure they trickle into my work or my or my thoughts um as well and and i've definitely tried to share some thoughts be open-minded to uh to you know challenge or different opinions um and just try le- try learn from some of those um and I've definitely, you know, I've, I guess I'm I'm not afraid to try challenge somebody even if they're higher up. And again, it's not to say, you know, I'm I want to challenge everybody for the sake of it or, you know, rub people up the wrong way. But you know, if if I have an opinion, yeah, I'm happy to, to to have a conversation. Um, if somebody else has a different opinion, and then hopefully off the back of that, I end up in a in a better place. And if I'm wrong, I've certainly learned something from from being wrong as well. Um. So, and then probably one more that I've really tried to focus on is thinking about how I engage people in, you know, whether it's through delivery or coaching or, you know, sessions, presentations, um, trying to think on that. And certainly I'm not an expert, but, um, still trying to, trying to learn in, in that regard. Yeah. One of the things as well, I've, uh, kind of, I think I've touched on the last couple of points is, um, you know, when, when I do share things, um, I feel like when other people question it, they, they connect the dots in my head for me. Um, so I see thoughts as dots in my head. And then, you know, when people ask questions or people provide their opinion, you know, that, that helps with the clarity that I have in my own, 
way of thinking or philosophy about something. So I, I find I find it a really uh, useful practice to, to share some stuff. No, I was just saying all, all, all great points. And yeah, I agree. I think I was listening to a podcast the other day with a chap was talking about how he learns and, and it doesn't really fully understand something until he kind of teaches someone. So it makes sense. We, you know, where people are questioning you and you've got to explain it to someone else, it kind of, it, it connects the dots for you more more than anything else so um yeah good points and any on, on that note in terms of like a developing coach are there any books or resources you recommend anything that's kind of made a big impact on you for your career um yeah look i, I tend to read books um more that i'm interested in so as opposed to giving any you know snc books um there's a few that i've read obviously quite recently and i think that oh, these are well known and probably everybody has read them in some degree but start with why i found really good um primary leadership uh thinking fast and slow and then i'm currently reading um rebel ideas um so th- they're quite interesting and in terms of other like you know books and resources i really don't think you have to look too hard these days to to find some good courses or podcasts or um material online and or you don't have to look too hard to find some good people as well so i think the biggest thing in terms of like you know books and things it's just you just have to start the book or initiate the conversation or play you know press play in the podcast and that's pretty much as, as difficult as it is that's that's the hardest part i guess but yeah really don't have to look too far um or too hard to find some really really good resources and people yeah definitely um and then kind of newish newish question on the podcast what what should i have asked you that i haven't is there anything you think uh you can help share with the listeners um that's the what should you have asked is a tough question um i don't i don't know if there's anything that i can really think of to be honest um if there is any questions that people have um i doubt there will be but if there is anything i'm more than happy for people to reach out on um and i'm happy to have a conversation after this so yeah cool well that leads me nicely to my next question is where can people learn more about you um yeah i i am on twitter um to try share some thoughts um and have some conversations there and i'm on i'm on linkedin as well so but yeah i'm more than happy to to have conversations with people and try to be relatively active on those oh, great and of course we'll share links to your, your twitter and linkedin in the show notes but uh just to wrap it up um yeah great great talking to you peter um yeah tons of good information there and um yeah really like your your philosophy and and the fact you're so willing to share it's great some of us said some of the stuff on on twitter has been uh, been really interesting that I've, I've been following so um yeah keep it up and and thanks very much cheers jamie thanks thanks for having me really really appreciate it yeah i'm sure you'll agree that was well worth a listen thank you very much peter not only for taking the time to to talk to us initially but also um to respond with some of the the answers well a lot of the answers um that, that we kind of lost because of the the wi-fi issue so much much appreciate some great information and you put a lot of work into it so thank you for that and all the best um for the future with the fa uh, in the meantime guys please subscribe to us on soundcloud stitcher itunes tune and spotify whatever you use for your podcasts and of course give us a five-star review and keep checking us out at rugbyrenegade.com and the social media channels more podcasts to come until next time Thanks for listening to the Rugby Renegade podcast. For more quality rugby strength and conditioning information, check us out at rugbyrenegade.com. Rugby Renegade, building machines.